Hello and welcome to So Hot Right Now. I'm Lucy Siegel. And I'm Tom Mustill. Now, this episode is... What? Uh, hello, it's not mine. It's my friend's. Oh, my God. Look, no kisses. Oh, wow. This is Pumpkin. Yes, kisses. Pumpkin. Hello, Pumpkin. No, pumpkin. Oh, wait, I need to turn, turn my this? headphones off. What's this? How old is Pumpkin? Six months. Six months. Oh. Anyway, sorry. Pumpkin just came so into the room cute. while we were recording, and I thought you'd appreciate pumpkin it. Pumpkin can stay. Let's call this episode Pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, doggy. Off you go. Off you go. Nice to see you. Anyway. Cool. Anyway, welcome to this episode, which is called Public Service Broadcasting. That's right. And it's about uh, the enormous power that... Uh, big broadcasters and especially entertainment can have to transmit ideas to people that we should be talking about. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Network television still has huge power and can still draw a huge audience. And the question is, how can we use it? Well, there's like a big chicken and egg thing all the time where if where often if you are like me or Lucy, you might think that people on Coronation Street and EastEnders should be talking about climate change and the biodiversity crisis a bit more. But then you could imagine that like people who work on those programmes or the commissioners who pay for them might say, but hang on, like, are the people uh, in those programmes likely to be talking about these things? And But that ignores the fact that um, sometimes these shows can actually set what people talk about and set the agenda as well as reflecting what people are talking about. Um, so that's what we'd like to talk about today. Yeah, and there's a huge, actually, there's a huge history in groundbreaking, pioneering TV programmes where the agenda has been set by mm -hmm. the producers and creators. Um, now, uh, this episode was recorded back in April. You will hear me refer to Coronation Street quite a lot <laughs> because I'm a super fan. Um, so one of the things I do mention is the uh, garment trade in the UK the apparel industry in the UK. And if we were having this conversation now, we would be reflecting the fact that the story in Leicester around garment production in the UK um, is around sweatshops and COVID. Um, and of course, we didn't anticipate that that was going to happen. Yes. But I think the other thing that I think if we were talking to Lisa Holdsworth, who's this week's guest now, we would also ask her about the phenomenon that is Michaela Cole, the creator, yeah. uh, producer, director and actor in I May Destroy You, which is the drama hit of the summer and possibly has redefined drama for all time. In the UK, we should add also. In the UK. international yes. audience. Yes, if, you're, if, you are, if you are part of the international audience that we have no doubt accumulated, you've got to watch this drama as soon as you can. It's unbelievable. Tom is yet to watch it and I'm jealous. That's so great. You know, and that, the last thing I felt like that about was Succession, when I'd say, have you seen it? And they'd say no. And I would just feel like, damn it, you've yet to go through that. Tell me about why it's good, Lucy. Um, it's good for all sorts of reasons. But one is the energy of Michaela Cole's performance 
and her mind. This is this is a story that's been described as lots of things, but as a consent drama. And it's based on Michaela's own experience as a survivor of sexual assault. And it is an extraordinary um, exploration of finding self-worth in London before lockdown. And it's beautifully acted, it's beautifully written, and it just shows how you can push the boundaries of television drama to create something that is feels more like a movement. It just feels really, really important and epoch-defining. And it's incredibly entertaining, if that's not a weird thing to say about this subject matter. There's also an episode where there's a theme around climate activism. And maybe we can talk about that another time. Maybe we could get Michaela Cole to talk about that with us. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be great. It was, re- it was I really enjoyed chewing gum as well. But this for me mm-hmm. is, is more. And I think she has, I think she has said that she found the process around commissioning and making chewing gum really, really hard mm-hmm. because, uh, uh, she wasn't listened to. She was overruled. You know, lots of different different um, problems in the commissioning process, and it feels like I may destroy you. She's actually redefined part of the commissioning process as well. Wow! And having control, having mm-hmm. control as a creative, mm-hmm. which is also a massive theme of the drama. I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Anyway, it sounds like we need to get her on. Um, oh my god I would love that so much I bet it's so difficult now because literally everyone wants to talk to her Michaela if you're listening can we talk to you yeah can we have an informed conversation but it was this bit about climate as well that I found really really interesting and I'm afraid climate activists didn't come across particularly well what how why well you'll have to watch it let's reconvene okay Anyway, this week's episode... That is the longest trailer. (laughs) Right, on to Lisa Holdsworth. Welcome to So Hot Right Now and Lisa Holdsworth. Hi there. Hi. Um, Where are you today, Lisa? Uh, I am in my office in Leeds at the moment, self-isolating just like everyone else. Well, I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Lisa is a very accomplished TV and theatre writer. She's written for so many things like New Tricks, Robin Hood, Midsummer Murders, Ackley Bridge, Call the Midwife, A Discovery of Witches, James Herriot's All Creatures Great and Small, and many, many more. And she's also the chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain. We want to talk to Lisa about putting the planet into our programming and the climate into your content, which is something that she is passionate about. Um, So Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So putting the planet into our programming, let's just start. How are we doing? Is there work to be done? Tom and I think there is. Spoiler. I think certainly um, factual television is reacting well. It, it's difficult because people have a very strong reaction to anything about the environment and the planet. They, they, Some people just close down and don't want to hear it. So I think that's been reflected in drama to a certain extent that the only things I can think of that have taken on um, the planet, what we're doing to it, have been fairly apocalyptic. And it 
presents the case for things being so terrible that there's nothing we can do. And it's very easy to divest your responsibility if all you're seeing is either a zombie apocalypse on The Walking Dead or, you know, the ice caps melting to an extent that Britain's flooded. So that idea of things we can do every day, I think, has been very absent from television drama, to be quite honest with you. At the heart of a successful TV drama, since you seem to have written rather a lot of them, what what are the elements that people love and and really go for? Is it a warmth? Is it universal themes? What what it what what are the prime ingredients? It's definitely humanity. I think warmth is a big part of that. So someone you can. Uh, someone you can recognise yourself in, so those characters that reflect your experience and your life, but also a certain amount of excitement as well. I mean, there's a reason James Bond remains a very exciting character. People like to think um, of them doing themselves doing glamorous things. But certainly situations where you can put yourself in there, have that internal debate about how would I react to this situation, be outraged if the character's not reacting in a way you would. That's you know the classic thing about goodies and baddies. Um, but also I think your baddies need to have a certain amount of justification and the the antagonists that are i just do evil things for evil reasons seem very childish and we don't enjoy them so the i've written a lot of uh, murder mysteries across the years and a big part of it is not the the who done it it's the why done it um when we get that final scene in the drawing room with poirot saying ah it was uh, the librarian in the library with the candlestick we want to know why the librarian committed the murder we want a satisfying reason and i think tv drama because it's long form um can often explore that really well and, and set up those debates in as whether whether we would have done those things in extremis so, so um yeah television drama that getting to know the characters i think is the most important part of it and i guess with tv drama you also have this really rare thing which is still millions and millions of people getting together to watch the same thing and then talking about it absolutely i mean the the um death knell has been sounded for linear television over the years and it's never proved to be true the soap operas are still enormously popular it's going to be very interesting to see how the uk copes when they come out of production for a short period of time um though that joint experience i mean particularly at the moment as we're in lockdown the idea that people elsewhere are watching the same things of you as you having that discussion on social media about what you watched last night we are looking for collective experiences now in my opinion factual television has reacted better to that in recent times so things like the great british bake-off sporting events that you can really click into the big even in a negative ways nasty nick getting caught out on big brother those big moments factual television have owned them to a certain extent but drama still has the potential to do it soap operas do it really really well but every now and then a really great tv drama captures our imagination um and it's often written by some of our best writers so jed mercurio's bodyguard line of duty whether we're going to find out who h is all of that kind of thing that collective joy of discussing things and actually what it's set up in is, is a great sense of etiquette 
around spoilers and not spoiling things for people if they're not watching them at the same time as but the water cooler moments for drama are definitely still there and where do you see lisa where do you see the opportunity to cover and nature and climate within that format and when did when did you see that opportunity i think um any writer worth their salt should have looked at how the UK reacted to the to the um, episode of the Blue Planet that looked at, at waste and how there was a collective outpouring of um, distress at that. And that's something that TV drama is often a really safe split space to explore things that we are finding distressing. So looking at that, having that conversation, kids TV actually does it really well. They're talking about the planet all the time because children are very clued into this kind of thing, teenage drama as well. Um, I'm not sure we're seeing it yet, but I do think we see a collective love of the countryside and the environment. Uh, if you look any night on Channel 5, when they're not putting things on about benefit cheats, they are putting an enormous amount of t- TV programming about our rural life in the UK. So things like the Yorkshire Vet and the, uh, the Shepherdess and things like that. But that's why they've commissioned All Creatures Great and Small. It's perfect for them. Yes, it's a period piece, but it's very much about our relationship with our environment, with animals and things like that. Animal dramas have always done um, extremely well things like the Durrells our zoo which I think a lot of people think it was a real shame that didn't go to a second series I thought it was glorious wild at heart those kind of things things where we understand that our lives are much bigger than our front rooms I think have always done well so I think there's definitely room on British television for um, a program that explores that relationship and I think it could be incredibly useful um, as we go forward, as we start to fight climate change. So if these, are, like we had this amazing, huge opportunity of people coming together to watch something and talking about talk about it, why haven't we seen the like plastic as part of Coronation Street or climate change uh, as part of Emmerdale? Why haven't these issues been really even aired on those programmes? I think they do come with a certain amount of baggage of being seen as worthy. There is, I think, in the past, uh, environmentalism erroneously was seen as political and not actually something that, that is just something a fact of life and we're going to have to deal with it. It's not about political. The solutions are mm. fettered by politics, but the reality of it is not a political, it's a scientific fact. So yes, I do think, uh, particularly Emmerdale, because it's set in a rural setting, should definitely be taking it on. Uh, we should have a conversation on EastEnders about air quality um, in London, things like that. Where I think those big soaps that might not naturally take on those things um, could do is in modelling uh, better environmental behaviour. I'm beginning to get very vexed when I see disposable cups over and over again on television. First of all, no actor seems to know how to act with a cup to make it look like it's full. It drives me mad. Um, secondly, <laughs> just like you would never see anybody driving now on a, on a British television show without their seatbelt on, where you you don't see anybody smoking around children, all those kind of behaviour 
behaviours. I think they should start to be reflected in our drama. Um, there's a, um, a department at the BBC called Ed Paul. For a lot of ta- long time, I thought there was a person called Edward Paul. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's not. It's, it's editorial policy. Um, and I do think that maybe some guidelines should be handed down to say, look... We have to start modelling this good behaviour. Um, it can be incredibly effective. Uh, when I was at Emmerdale, we ran a story about testicular cancer, and it was Zach Dingle had uh, found a lump, as simple as that. And uh, we went round the houses about whether to do that story or not, and actually the detection rate in the UK went up because Zach Dingle had it and other men were checking their testicles for lumps. And it, it's something as simple as that, mm. that we can start to see that behaviour improve. And, and it feels finger-waggy. It's, I think people are very nervous um, about making things too worthy to public service broadcasting. Um, but I think the time for that has passed. We've, we're in a climate emergency and everybody's signed up to that. Most, I, I would say, of the creative community understand that. So it's time to start reflecting that in our work. Do you think, Lisa, that there is um, an issue? So I did a piece for ITV. I did a, a half-hour piece on the plastic waste crisis and I was just um, beside myself during the ad breaks because... Um, let's put it this way, some of the rubbish that we'd seen floating around uh, different oceans was being quite heavily promoted during the ad breaks. I mean, the the mechanism, the system of of um, TV, how we finance TV produce, production on commercial channels, it does throw up these these um, these problems, doesn't it? Do you think we can get past that? It certainly. I think, well, I mean, we're about to go into a very interesting time. If we'd have been having this conversation two months ago, uh, I think my answer would be very different. We're about to go into a quite significant advertising slump. Um, I think Channel 4 are certainly already struggling, and ITV and Sky um, are, are equally going to have problems. The, the advertising has been withdrawn quite significantly. So there is a reality of economics, which is um, in a boom time, what do you do to um, mark your products above everybody else? And maybe a gr- bit of greenwashing comes into that because people people's choices when they're stood in the supermarket are maybe less based on economics and more based on feeling good about a product. But I wonder if... Uh, one of the very negative side effects of of the economic slump we're about to go into will be um, that those kind of issues are put on the back seat. Um, I mean, it's interesting, Sky do rely massively on uh, advertising, often run their big environmental campaigns, um, which I I think is interesting. I think people have to start putting their money where their mouth is. Now, I don't think any commercial channel is going to be in a position to turn advertising down over certainly over the next 18 months but a conversation can be had about is this realistic how we are is it sustainable how we continue to do this unfortunately that again comes down to the consumer putting pressure on um companies um but i certainly think ITV should look to themselves because one of the things that we're discussing in lockdown is how as our consumption has gone down as our 
unnecessary journeys have gone down um how the environment suddenly feels better it's you know the feel-good story of coronavirus is jellyfish in the canals at in venice i saw pelicans in central london today apparently yeah. uh, all yeah. that kind yeah. of stuff now if if that makes us feel good then how do we sustain that how do we keep that feeling that the planet is sustaining us and making us feel better and that's a con- definitely a conversation and, and also, to be had and, and i guess we've also seen these links now with the people who are most affected by the coronavirus living in areas with bad air um some evidence coming out that in fact like air pollution can actually spread the virus itself like i think for a while like green issues were sort of, sort of seen as an optional fringe thing that you could be into if you wanted but now you know we've having floods in across the country this year we've got like, I- I- extremely hot weather like the hottest year on record already you know these are not these are issues that affect everybody and i i find it i remember as a child i found it and, a, and like a young adult i found it very strange to not see many gay people uh, on TV when they were clearly gay people in the world but they weren't represented on TV or people of colour and I remember that changing and that feeling like there was a cognitive dissonance that was being cleared up as TV caught up with the reality of our, lo- our lived experience and I feel there's something similar with, with nature and climate that we are profoundly affected you know air pollution is a matter of life and death you know floods destroy our houses and these are results of, of human activities that we can you know effect and it feels weird that that they're not you know these are really dramatic stories you know look at the fires in australia and california look at all like so is there like isn't it also just a bit weird that we haven't been having these issues come up in our dramas i I think you're absolutely right i think um and I, the problem with television drama is we, we always know what we see on screen, so we know what's made it up there, but we don't know what's being developed and pitched. And I feel, you know, it could be that lots of writers are pitching these ideas, are coming up with ideas. And as I say, I think it's certainly feeding through in factual television and, and into children's drama. But why isn't adult drama getting there and it might be that we need the big idea the big environmental drama it was interesting that sky made the show cobra which was about a solar flare that knocks out the electricity in the uk and how we all uh, deal with it spoiler not very well we all went mad uh, and actually it looks really archaic now considering that actually for the most part we're dealing with a national emergency relatively well but I thought it was interesting that that show wasn't used for something that was genuinely environmental. As you say, massive flooding. If you live in Hebden Bridge, which is just up the road from me, that is your everyday life. That I cannot imagine how those pe- people continue to to live in a in a town that they clearly love but that floods apparently twice a year and the nerve-wrackingness the inability to get insurance the economic effect that actually in real time the environment is having now if i was being enormously cynical uh and uh, the wishy-washy lefty that i actually am I might say that the people who decide what ends up on television live relatively privileged lives and we know that uh, environmental damage has a disproportional effect on those from working class or impoverished backgrounds. And I might say that the reason they're not commissioning that drama is it doesn't affect them yet. 
So we do get lots of drama about um, infidelity and um, very middle-class people losing their jobs and divorce courts and things like that. That's me being enormously reductive. But maybe one of the big battles of the environmental movement is to get people to understand that your money will not save you as the planet breaks down. That the Mm -hmm. time for, hey, I'm all right, Jack, has gone. Um, and that may be something that needs to feed through. Like I say, that would me being being enormously cynical, but I do think that there is still a certain amount of insulation from the reality of climate change amongst the upper echelons. I think that's definitely right. And I, but I also am interested. You made the distinction between factual and drama. And then there are some um, sort of hybrids, aren't there, that sort of sit somewhere in the middle of that factual entertainment, uh, for which I work quite often. And the reason why I know Hebden Bridge rather well is because I've done a lot of flood specials from Hebden Bridge in factual entertainment. And it seems to me, when I've talked to, say, some of my friends that work in drama, for example, is that they they often sort of say, well, that's been covered off. So that's been covered off by factual or factual entertainment. And we're about escape. We're about escapism. How do we change that mindset? So you refer to the fact that we have like, you know, we're well known for having incredible writers in the UK who write TV dramas. How do we change? How do we change that mindset amongst writers, commissioners, so that they don't think that it's being covered off in another part of the TV landscape? I think the reality is that it will probably take one of the big writers to take it on. Um, as someone who, who has yet been able to get my own commission for drums, I, I work on other people's shows, and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But getting an original commission away is problematic to start off with and so often you mitigate your risk as a new writer by not pitching things that they can say an instant no to and it may be that the environmental issues have just not seen been seen as sexy enough to get that first commission so I would encourage the Jed Mercurios, the Sally Wainwrights, the Kay Mellors, um, you know, the, those guys who, I'm not saying they have an easy life, I don't say they move into the B, they walk into the BBC and someone throws a, chuck, a load of money at them and tells them to write whatever they want, but it would be great if one of them took this on. Uh, for example, Sally Wainwright, all her drama's set around Ebden Bridge in Halifax, so it, it seems strange that that the flooding never gets mentioned in her dramas um, because it's a reality of life there. So I would personally say that, that I think the absolute reality of how to get this going is to have one really sexy drama that everybody gets into because the first thing that will happen is all the other channels will want one. Now that may come through one of the more disruptive channels, for example, Netflix. Um, and it's interesting, they've done a lot of work on diversity, their, their uh, representation of LBGTQ people is really good. They've, they're, you know, I feel like I'm getting a much better picture on the world on Netflix sometimes than I am on some of our um, more established channels. They've yet to take on the environmental thing and I wonder if Netflix has that big hit um, environmental hit then soon the other channels go, oh god we want one as well because 
that is what commissioners are like. I mean, I'm shooting myself in the foot here because I'm hopefully going to have meetings with them all very soon. But um, <laughs> commissioners can be like children and they don't know what they want until they see what someone else has got. And so if you give their baby brother a lollipop, they're all going to want a lollipop. And that's, yeah, Netflix are the baby brother in that analogy. So, Do you think Chernobyl was, um, I forget, was that Sky? But was that a lollipop in a sense? Because that seemed to do very well and is essentially environmental, sort of big environmental, isn't it? It was one of those, um, I would say it was, it's a high-level, high-end TV hit. So it's HBO and Sky. It, I mean, it looked amazing. It was an amazing piece of drama. But if you look at the viewing figures for it, not a lot of people watched it. It's one of those things that, you know, you talk about at your local wine bar while you're eating wasabi peanuts. It's not something you talk about over a pint and a packet of pork scratchings at the Working Men's Club. And that, again, that's me being enormously reductive. What you need is that mainstream here. Mm. So yes, Chernobyl won loads of awards, quite rightly. It's brilliantly written. It should feel very much like a um a warning from the past. Um all that kind of stuff is there, but it's not I wouldn't say it's the breakout hit, the populist hit that T V commissioners are looking for. They want bake off numbers, not Chernobyl numbers. Um and that again is incredibly cynical. But I would say that yes, Chernobyl's great and it, it made me have a long hard think about uh, Russian nuclear policy. Um, but I, w- I wouldn't say it'd be the breakout hit that gets everybody on the number 16 bus into town talking about whether they're going to do better at recycling and things like that. That is, that's a very good point. And I, I've, been, I've actually been on set um, for, of Coronation Street, to which I am a lifelong um, uh, champion of Coronation Street. I've been on set and I have seen some of the small things that they are doing um, for example, they ran a storyline about recycling and characters are often seen to be recycling. They also ran a story about allotments. A lot of this is around specific characters. So I would say that Roy Cropper, who owns the cafe, takes a good deal of the um, the, the work, the heavy load, the heavy lifting on green stories. But do these small things add up to much? I think you you raise a really interesting point because often on soaps it's about which character takes it on. Now, I would say that in the past, the, the, the story that sort of pops into my head is around either a sulky teenager who's making mum and dad change all the light bulbs in the house to low impact light bulbs. That that feels like a very late 90s version of the story. Or it is a character like Roy Cropper, who I'm sure the actor won't mind me saying he's not one of the sexier characters who's seen as a, a bit of a busybody making everybody <laughs> separate their rubbish. So again, where the the changing where a a writer should really be thinking about in my opinion is pitching a story with one of the sexier characters who takes it on if one of the beloved families in albert square had a child who was suffering from asthma and it was because of air quality and they took on cleaning up the square and making sure people weren't making unnecessary journeys or improving public transport or something like that then that i think would have a massive impact the stakes are often very low in those environmental stories it is the the true stories about a sulky teenager or whether 
your next door neighbour is a little bit of a busybody. So if we raise the stakes and get to understand why this stuff is important from food waste in your back garden to um, improving uh, efficiency of public transport. And, uh, you know, I live in the city, the biggest city in Europe that doesn't have a mass transport system. And that's why our air quality is so poor. How I would dramatise that, I'd have to go away and have a very serious think about. But the secret to getting that that interest from an audience is is now to raise it above the comedy level, the sea starry level, I would say. Mm. There's a, a really, really cool example uh, of this, and it's from, it's from the 1970s. Uh, there was a TV show in the States called All in the Family, and it was, if not the most popular TV show, I think it was a sitcom, it was the most popular TV show. And in the 1970s, we started to realise that the ozone layer was being destroyed. It's a layer of the atmosphere that stops uh, radiation from the sun that would otherwise give us skin cancer and destroy crops um, and cause terrible damage to the planet. And this protective layer was being destroyed by CFCs, which are chemicals we were using in our fridges and in uh, deodorant and hairspray. And this TV show dedicated a whole episode with their two most popular characters talking about it. And after that episode, sales of hairspray and deodorant declined and the industry took note and three years later uh, they were banned and the ozone layer is now healing Um, and that tv show that episode is pointed at as one of the turning points Um, and so we have done it before and i think people can dismiss this conversation as being like a nice thing you know oh wouldn't it be nice if coronation street or eastenders talked about this but it's actually, I think, much more important than if we cover it in our horizons and in our factual, you know, in our documentaries sometimes. Uh, because the, as what you said before, Lisa, if you humanise it, um, there's but this I element wonder if, I wonder mm-hmm. if who commissioned that show or the TV exec or whatever who was responsible, what I want to know is did they get promoted or demoted? Ah, I think that's a really good question. And I, th- and I think, you know, as more pressure comes to bear... I would say that, yeah, something like that, something, it will come from a place we weren't expecting it. It'll be, oh, I don't know, an episode of Mrs. Brown's Boys where she talks about uh, air quality or something like that, that, that I don't think anybody predicted, for example, the, the, the example I started off with, which was the Blue Planet episode. And my understanding is that hundreds of MPs were getting email after email at an enormous rate after that, that, the certain amount of child pressure came in because it's something you sit down and watch with your kids and kids were saying something has to be done about this um that's that might be the way forward something that families sit and watch um good god it could be great british bake-off does a environmental friend friendly episode that whatever gets the conversation going and pressurizes politicians to know that this is something that people genuinely care about i think uh, i think it will come from somewhere we're not expecting so no I, I don't think it'll be the big dramas like chernobyl that do that because it's so easy to to justify that's that looks grim i'm not going to watch it but if it mm. pops up in an episode of um i don't know and dex saturday takeaway then we'll have the conversation i love the idea that you know brendan o'carroll if you're listening Mrs. Brown's Boys would be a very good vehicle for this. Absolutely. My dad likes that show. I I don't so much, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, 
I wanted to ask you about talent, actually, because back to Roy Cropper and the cafe, I think that actor's called David. And I think one of the things that um, I found out when I visited the set was how the actors it is in soap operas who are very interested in nature and climate, as David is, were pushing for these changes in their own script. And they were actually driving some of this change. Do you, I'm just thinking like, if you transpose that to big dramas, uh, actors like, I don't know, like Maxine Peake or David Tennant, like, do they have any leverage? Um, yeah, I think that, I think as we become more concerned, yes, shows that are long running where the talent is really important, it's important, and this is going to sound uh, a little bit bitchy, but it's not the, how I intend to say it, that talent has to be kept happy, and one of the ways is to listen to what their concerns are, but that's also a collective workplace pressure that you can bring to bear so if you are the cast of coronation street then you can bring that pressure to bear and say i think we should be reflecting this on the show it's a concern that everybody should have uh, the other program that i think has covered it quite well and i think it's probably reflective of the writer's concerns uh, is doctor who i think that has a very strong um, moral environmental message and, and a couple of the episodes of the last series where Chris Chibnall uh, was running the show um, had strong environmental messages and that's great because that filters through to quite a, a large range of family uh, viewers and they can have that conversation and, and my friend's son um, was very distressed apparently after one of the episodes and went around turning all the lights off in the house and we don't want to frighten children although Doctor Who is famous for frightening kids enough that they hide behind the sofa but those shows that can start that conversation are really important and I think where the talent is and that's writers as well as actors where we can say uh, I'd really like to cover this in existing shows um, I think that's really useful and I think it's probably something we all have a responsibility to do and it's difficult because if you are the person and I speak as the person who has always been the person going I really think we should do this and everyone's grown slightly from representation <laughs> onwards um, it can be very frustrating and, and anybody who does any form of activism knows you don't get what you want the first time of asking you have to keep asking and so it requires a lot of energy so the other sort of thing i would put out to our industry is if someone is making that noise if someone is saying i really think we should talk about this then back them um don't worry about your own career and sit in the background and don't worry that you are going to end up being the person that goes oh she's banging on about it again it just it is a responsibility to all of us uh, and because television can reach that audience because we can have that effect uh, our responsibility is is as significant as anybody else's welcome to true spies the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think sometimes we can fall, because we talked about Chernobyl and how people might think, oh, that looks a bit depressing, maybe it's not for me. Do you think we can fall into a bit of a gloom trap with environmental issues? Because 
it, there's two sides to it. There's the, the gloom side, which is like floods and fires and pollution. But there's also the other side, which is like, you know, the this new worlds that we can have of like energy that comes for free or clean air that we enjoy or, you know, um, you know, being out in nature and enjoying the things that we have and rebuilding. Like these are really positive stories, but you don't see them reflected very much. I think it's actually, I think you've hit upon something very significant there. And it's, and, and I often wonder, does television drama reflect my experience of the world? And actually it's a big part that, that is missing from it is collectivism and people coming together. And so, do you know what? It, it's, it's not sexy that theatre companies at the moment are delivering Meals on Wheels to pensioners in some of the more deprived areas of Leeds, but it's the stuff that on a personal level really excites me and I think there has been uh, an obsession in television drama and particularly in the soaps in recent times when you ask for high stakes stories it's often monetary or how many characters will be dead by the end of this episode or all that kind of thing and actually where the high stakes are for um, ordinary people are often emotional attachments to their locality and the people and the sense of community and I think if we looked at that in drama um, there is a real space to have a discuss discussion about how we deal with this climate emergency collectively where our responsibilities lie um, and I think that would be a really positive forward step and as I say I don't think a lot of television drama, even the soaps to a certain extent, um, reflect my experience of people coming together. The frustration is there. The frustration that the people who have the genuine power are not stepping up. But if we reflected that in our drama, that there is a will in this country. And I really do think after three years of Brexit, we've been so divided. If we start to talk about community and collective action and coming together in our drama only positive things could come from that i think uh television is either a, a chalkboard or a, a mirror and unfortunately we've been holding up the mirror to some of the more negative aspects of society because it's been so dominant the divide the divide the divide has been enormously dominant in our cultural discourse that actually having maybe three months of a bit of a reset a three months of understanding that people um in jobs that have previously been seen as enormously lowly and underpaid are so valuable to the fabric of our society that i, I would say to anybody pitching a drama do not pitch the new west wing because actually a lot of our politicians have been shown up to be absolutely bloody useless pitch dramas about communities coming together where that is um a positive effects positive change locally because i think i think that could be enormously beneficial i don't know that's that sounds like a bit of a a rant but it's something that I've, i sort of feel in my heart that that we've we often concentrate on really important high-flying people striding down corridors with their clickety-clack high heels and all of that kind of thing and actually the people that <laughs> what we've realized is the people who are getting work done are the guys who do the deliveries and empty the bins and teach your kids and clean hospital corridors and things like that and so maybe um our big responsibility is to start reflecting that in drama as well oh totally and last week one of the big dramas that happened which 
I sound deranged. I sound like a deranged Coronation Street fan, but it made me remember how much of the drama was centred around Mike Baldwin's knicker factory. Yes. <laughs> in, in, in years after offshoring had taken every bit of garment production away from the UK, in Weatherfield, it was still very much alive. And people, I, I think that's why I can sew, because I was brought up watching people machinists. Anyway, last week's drama was... A lot of it was about PPE and not being able to get enough plastic PPE come in um, from uh, Cambodia and, and Bangladesh and stuff like that. So, so there's a consortium of garment manufacturers and all the different people throughout the northwest and north of the UK who still have capacity, who still make stuff, and, and Leicester as well, right up into Scotland. And you saw this amazing configuration of all these different parts of the supply chain and it was a really extraordinary kind of standoff because you had a lot of people from Deloitte's who the, who the um, management consultants who the government had, had appointed trying to interact with these real characters from the garment industry and manufacturing in the UK. And they really are characters. And for me, the drama of that just, yeah, it just took me back to Weatherfield when Ivy Tilsley was the shop steward. And I absolutely agree. The stories within all of this are really kind of incredible. But how how do you think they will emerge? And do you know, like, are people commissioning anything at the moment? And do you know kind of what is coming through? So with my Writers Guild hat on, we've been talking to the broadcasters. Our, our initial uh, work was, when we went into lockdown, it was making sure that freelancers were getting the money they needed. And we... we uh, support our yeah. members as we go on as there's discussion about how um the lockdown will be relaxed um we are trying to talk to commissioners to talk to them about look can we get a steer on what you're looking for now now there are two aspects to this one is narrative um and i should imagine there's some very serious conversations going on amongst the producers and writers of of the big soaps especially the two medical soaps holby and casualty it would yeah. be very strange if, if those shows came back and did not reflect what the NHS is going through at the moment. So um, the discussion, I suppose, you, that they'll be having is, God, will our audience want to watch it dramatically after living it? So that, that discussion about how best to reflect the reality of what viewers have been through over the last three months when... when um, production gears up is up for discussion i mean there's no doubt in the ma my mind that someone will want to commission the big covid drama um you know the big state of the nation piece i should imagine uh, a man will get to write it because women ra rarely get to write those uh, that's for another podcast um <laughs> but i think there'll be some drama of that but i think as i said i think our narratively maybe where the shift will be will be an understanding our understanding of heroism our understanding of how we get through things our understanding of family what especially if we bring in what the belgians have done which is you have to pick your 10 people that you can interact with for the next six months my god there's a drama in that instantly uh, or <laughs> yeah, a sitcom i, I, um, I was thinking about that itself. how do you how do you what if you find out that all your mates or the rest of your family's decided that they're, they're the not 10. on anybody's list. God, that's yeah, you know, that's a comedy for Ricky Gervais, isn't it? So, oh my god! So, there's, so narratively, 
I think it will have a significant effect. It's already things that uh, I, I do a annual uh, theatre showcase. Uh, we've cancelled it, obviously. But what people were writing, uh, the writers we commissioned this year, they're saying, look, if we come back next year, probably what I'd sat down to write will not feel relevant. So I think theatre will also have a strong reaction. So narratively, there's a big discussion to have about how this will affect us it'll be incremental uh, and we probably won't see the effect for six months but it'll be there now practically in terms of how we get back into production that's another thing and that might have an effect on narrative um in the next couple of weeks neighbors in australia goes back into production they've already issued what their guidelines will be so no snogging which for a soap is a big thing. I mean, God knows how Hollyoaks will get through if they're not allowed to have any snogging. <laughs> um, no makeup for the men, only no touch-ups for the women, no scenes with more than three people. They will separate their cast into three groups and the three groups will not interact. So if there is a infection in one group of the actors, um, only those actors will have to self-isolate. They'll still have two sets of actors to, to interact with and use on set. There are, I had the writers of that show have my blessing good grief there's a lot to do there no extras so the crew will double as extras so those big communal scenes in the watering hall or in Lassiter's can you tell that Neighbours used to be my favourite soap Um, mine too those those will gone so that that will come to the writers so the writers will have two lots of considerations when they finally sit down in their story conferences whether it's virtually or in reality so what can we physically do with our actors what sets are available all that practicality Uh, soap soap writers are brilliant at that we do it all the time uh, we have to think about, you know, can, can we shoot this inside or outside? Uh, can we have a cast of thousands? Or you can have two of the Dingle Dogs when I was on Emmerdale. Uh, all of that kind of thing. So they'll be really good at that. But narratively, I think it'll be a much more gentle slide into that, what we want to talk about. Mm. I think, I mean, I'm uh, quite aside from the fact that, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and some people are, are needlessly dying. Um, that aspect of it I find really exciting as we come back up into production. Um, the show that I'm working on um, we are already discussing changes to our working practices and how we'll make sure um, everybody's protected Um, and it'll probably involve a lot less travelling which is interesting because that will have a positive effect on the environment Um, Mm. one of the other sort of silver linings that the Writers Guild is discussing is uh, there's been an obsession with dragging writers down for meetings in London. Now, as someone who has to pay around 100 quid a pop every time I go to London to get on a train, uh, if we embrace the Zoom boom, I am up for that. But it will have a really positive effect for our members who are wheelchair users, for our members who have childcare responsibilities, for our members who maybe don't have a lot of disposable income. If it becomes the new etiquette that actually a Zoom meeting is just as good as coming down to London, getting off the train at King's Cross and going somewhere in Soho, that's brilliant. And it has, a posit- again, a positive effect on the environment because it's an unnecessary journey cut out. Um, so there are silver linings, there are things coming out of this, and it's an interesting new world that we come into. And that's not to underestimate the effect that, that all the uncertainties having on the mental health of anybody working in our industry at the moment the the picture is not clear we're not sure if and when we will ever get back to normal mm. or how this will affect the the production 
community. Um, I think we'll bounce back. I think we'll be fine. I think the other thing that's come out of this is, oh my God, we need good television. That's the, the two things that I'm talking about all the time. What I'm having for my tea, because everybody's obsessed with bacon now. Uh, I made cornbread last night. I'm very proud of myself. Um, and what we're watching nice. on television. What are you watching? Give me some recommendations, etc., etc. So the understanding of how important television is um, in our culture um, uh, we've we've definitely cemented that place, and hopefully, uh, the politicians will stop trying to tear down the BBC because my God, what would this lockdown have been like for the Brits without the BBC? Yeah, absolutely. Like, can you imagine if there if if when Boris Johnson addressed everyone on that lockdown broadcast, I think it was like twenty seven million or some huge figure watched it, and if that had been just if and if we'd been a country that just had like Netflix and Fox and MSNBC. And we didn't have a public broadcaster, like for for those moments of like of crisis and trust required, and 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 also the um, the regional TV stations, so mm. BBC Plymouth, for example, uh, they are crisis centres, and they've had people coming to them, literally fleeing to them. I mean, talk wow. about dramas. Yeah, you know, I... people know the lo- recognize the logo, and they you know it's part of their lives um, um it's very it, yeah i guess it's very easy to dismiss like things like the bbc as a sort of old-fashioned frippery in times where everything's fine but when and in the same way that i'm not making a direct parallel but in the same you know people have a lot of people seem to forget how important nurses were or delivery people were or shopkeepers were or bin or people who to change the bins were until they're forced to like everything is stripped back in a crisis and you see the people you actually are related to and who you directly rely on and I wonder and you were talking about you know who the heroes are and who the dramatic characters are you know not somebody clattering down the west wing but somebody that you could actually relate to in your life and I wonder with with climate and nature and the dramas that are going to hit us this year next year we're going to have extreme weather we're going to have fires we're going to have heat waves that kill people off we're going to have more floods um, there's going to be effects that everybody will be feeling and there will also be heroic people who will be responding to those effects, rescuing people from floods, putting out fires. If, there's, if, there, if our food supplies are disrupted, we're going to be looking at who's at our farmers and our farm workers and who's getting that, that food to us. Like a lot of these things we've seen dramatically in first hand with, with this epidemic, they're part of the functioning of the natural world and we're going to be seeing these things with climate change as it continues and with the destruction of the natural world as it continues and i wonder if there's an opportunity in drama to get ahead of the curve and in a way you know we can kind of see the stuff we're going to be dealing with and can i see the people who are going to have dramatic you know stories in reality dealing with it I think uh, representation is, is actually a two-way street, so it's important for uh, drama to represent people, but in order to get the ideas to, to you know, writers are enormous vampires feeding off the stories of the planet, that's a bit dramatic, but you know what I mean. Um, and so the things that inspire new writing, inspire new stories, are what we're subsuming into our brains by watching television, reading the newspaper, etc. So yeah, I think, I genuinely think there will be a pivot away from 
Um, that you know, I think we've done a lot of wishful thinking in political drama over the last few years. So the West Wing is a beautiful idea that you know Martin Sheen will be our hero, or Madam Secretary, a good American show, all that kind of thing. But what we've ended up with is some very very mediocre people uh, in power over the last few years, or absolute lunatics if you're an American. Um, so and I, I make no apologies. He, there is something very wrong with him. So and that crisis has shown up. That that idea of of the Chichilian, uh, M- MP standing up, etc. As much as they'd all like to be like that, they're not. They're very ordinary. And actually, I think what I'm immersed in now as a writer that the. Um, people heroes who were at home with their kids and making sure they don't throw them through a window frankly um, because kids are lovely uh, but I'm very glad at this moment in history I don't have any um, all those people just living their lives keeping body and soul together the drama of that the content that people are producing thank god for social media from people doing daft dances to you know an old guy about to turn 100, 100, capable of raising 28 million for the National Health Service. Not that the National Health Service should be a charitable organisation, but there we go. But those that kind of heroism, you can never predict what is going to come out of that. From, I don't know, I suppose the, the Susan Boyle moment on um, Britain's Got Talent. We love those heroes. And I think... Um, that is going to start to be reflected in our television because everything else will feel very hollow otherwise. It's interesting, you know, watching things about superheroes, that's that's wish fulfilment, wanting the fact that, you know, maybe maybe uh, Iron Man can sort out COVID-19. I don't, I don't think he can. Um, <laughs> but that idea of people who genuinely roll up their sleeves and get things done... Um, I think that will definitely filter through to drama. And yes, I think when it comes to the environment, um, I think that that maybe is the narrative that we need, that it's the people who are um, at the sticky end that we need to, to look at. It's I, it's interesting, as I'm talking about this, I'm becoming inspired. I want to go away and write something now because it feels important to do that. And I think if I'm feeling like, like that... I'm sure lots of other writers are. Come well, on. That would be if good. You're a commission- yeah, if you're a commissioner, <laughs> get on it. Absolutely. Like... Come and talk to me. Yeah, yeah. we've got um, a wish list from this, haven't we? We need um, we need commissioners to ring Lisa now. We need Brendan O'Carroll to ring us. What else do we need? Uh, well, few- I, I, like I say, I'd love some guidelines. I think something very practically we could do right now and have the conversation about now is... is let's talk about modeling good behavior in our drama let's not um you know let's make sure that those recycling stories are not seen as niche and nebbish and all those kind of things let's have a conversation about the realities of um how we are going to have to live our lives going forward um we and we do you know a lot of drama um jet setting getting on planes private jet type stuff oh i'm a bit over that now and it and all i do when i when i see someone get on a private jet in a drama now i think you you could have flown coach or could it not have been a zoom <laughs> yeah. meeting maybe a bit more of that 
that, that that's not that's not a, a signifier of a hero or someone who's got a, a, a desirable life. It's it's a signifier of a bit of a prick, actually. Yeah, like like watching someone in a. I mean, it's funny, you know, you watch TV from the nineties and you see someone smoke in a cafe near someone with a, a baby in a pram, or get in a car and not put their seatbelt on, and in in like the eighties or the nineties, all the characters could do those things, but now you they're they're like you said they're signifiers are there actually rules about that uh there are there are some uh particularly for anything that goes ahead of the um uh watershed so there's a a, a sort of clause in editorial policy about imitable behavior now that can be something as for example when i worked on robin hood because that was a family show um you couldn't show um, violent behaviour that the kids might go out and replicate uh, in the garden afterwards. So we didn't do any of that cartoon one punch and someone gets knocked out stuff because nobody wanted someone punching their little brother in the face and giving them a head injury. Um, bonking people over heads with sticks and things like that was out. Um, we were very careful around anything that showed strangulation so that kids didn't strangle each other. And I think that's a very positive way of uh, going ahead. Let's not have children strangling each other. So th- those kind of things, we, we know there are study after study that, that behaviours get replicated by children, but they also get replicated by uh, adults. So smoking is the perfect example that when, you know, back in the 80s, you had Alexis Carrington sexily smoking, people lit up immediately after a sex scene, all of that kind of thing. That's all gone. And again, it's another signifier. Someone smoking now is not cool. They're a bit gross. And usually it's the baddie who's smoking. You know, Captain America doesn't smoke. Simple as that. So it it, it is how our attitude to that has changed. And there are guidelines. So for example... Uh, no drinking before the watershed, that kind of thing. So drinking behaviour. I think uh, one of the things we should look at is gambling behaviour as well, because we've got such a enormous, um, terrible situation with gambling addiction in in the UK. So all that stuff is constantly under discussion. Uh, but it sometimes takes someone to raise it and say, hey, can we have a look at this and let's not do this anymore? So health concerns are obvious because the effects are instant. So we know smoking's bad for you. I don't know whether you've heard. Uh, Bashing your little brother over the head is bad for your little brother. All of that kind of thing. But maybe that's the way to look at it, which is this is really bad behaviour for everybody. Let's stop modelling it. Let's stop seeing it. I think this is, for human behaviour, this is a watershed moment and so yes god i wish that coronavirus had not escaped i really do and and i'm desperately sad for anybody who's lost anybody over there and i will preface everything i'm about to say with that but it is the situation with which we are presented with and it is a genuine opportunity for us to really have a a hard think about our personal behavior from for example I don't think Jeff, who comes into the office with a cold, saying I'll soldier on, will be seen as a hero anymore. I think he'll be sent home. Um, I don't think anybody who, you know, doesn't tidy their lives up, doesn't have a think about, you know, their interactions with people... um, is missing this opportunity so yes collectively as a planet let's have a conversation about this if we're going to have to make changes 
anyway let's talk about what's good for the planet as well and and yeah travel i think will be a massive part of it that the pollution that's created by transport is such a significant part of it um how i'd like to see it in political changes let's um you know let's nationalize all public transport let's make it safe and usable and frequent so that you don't have a million people uh, shoved onto a train that goes between Sheffield and Leeds every day because that's not going to be the way we do things anymore so we're going to have to have that conversation and I do think environmental concerns should form a massive part of that. What I've been wondering about is that in the in, in environmental communication, you always come up against this thing, which is that people say, oh, it's human nature. It's human nature. We can't help it. We're wasteful. We're destructive. You know, we're locked into this tragic path. You know, we can't change. You know, and that's like an ingredient in many dramas, too, in tragedy. You know, your hero, you kind of know that they've got this flaw and that they can't help it. And that's where a lot of the tension comes from. But here we've all just seen that we can change in order to protect vulnerable people. We've sat at home for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and it's this confounding of expectations, which I find really like fascinating that everybody's seen that this isn't necessarily our nature. And that, and I wonder if that can be reflected in, in drama as well. I think I'd, almost definitely. I think, I'd, you know, things like, um, not having everything ready to, readily available to you, not being instantly being able to nip out to the shops and get things. It felt like a, a desperate imposition at first. I think people were genuinely grieving for their lives for the first week or so. It was tough. And still little things catch you out, like grief does. It catches up with you later on. I have a script I need to read. I would usually go to a coffee shop and have a cup of coffee and read it uh, in amongst a bit of a hubbub. And I caught myself thinking, oh, I'll nip out later, have a coffee, read that. Oh, no, one. okay, no, that's not going to happen this time. <laughs> so all that thing. So, so allow people a period of, of adjustment, definitely. But then what came in was ingenuity. So from f for food, for example, instead of going, oh my God, I can't instantly nip out for a loaf of bread, I'll make my own bread. Oh, my bananas are going off. I won't chuck them in the bin. I'll make banana bread. I can't stand banana bread. So that's a really bad example. I just don't buy bananas. <laughs> but, you know, that, how, how can we make the best of what we've got, which is a great environmental message? You know, I think my mum and dad realised they could probably eat out of what they'd put in the freezer for a good three months. Now, they might be eating a Christmas dinner from 2017 when they get to the bottom of the freezer, but the, the, the consumerism that has gone into our lives, the collection of stuff. And I've had a couple of friends who, who were feeling genuinely anxious at first that their cupboards weren't full, that they couldn't nip out and get a few things more. They couldn't have exactly what their heart desired in that moment. And maybe that's one of the biggest changes we're going to have to take, which is, and take joy in it and take joy in the fact, right, I've got a tin of chickpeas, uh, two brown bananas, uh, and half a cost lettuce what can I make out of that <laughs> uh, instead of going right let's all go out I, I think tempering that with a certain amount of understanding that that, that means a great deal of economic pain for some people and, and you know my heart really breaks for the small businesses Leeds has a really rich food culture food, food and sort of drink culture and obviously seeing a lot of people 
struggle with that is enormously painful people who really care about their businesses and do run them along an environmental line are being affected by this but yeah it's it's time for a conversation definitely uh, and i think I'm, we're gonna have it. i really just love so much the way that you've talked about um characters and the shift in heroes as well because a lot of the things that you're sort of describing which have now become common experiences like what to do with old bananas and you, you try try and make it yourself they were always the things that were ascribed to the green one or the eco one like Roy Cropper weren't they in scripts and now a lot of those things even being interested in bird sound because you can actually hear it above the traffic now all of those things have gone from being the niche weirdo character thing to actually being quite widespread experiences do you know which um, which characters would deal the best with this lockdown tom and barbara good from the good life yes and if i was a bbc comedy commissioner and if they want to get in touch with me because i'll happily write it i would be re- now rebooting the good life because such think- a great idea and i live down the road from surbiton and i know the house oh that wow, wow. Well, they use two but i know the main one and, and they've still got chickens. So. And it was interesting because they were the heroes of that piece. It wasn't Margot and, and Jerry next door who had all the accoutrements, although they were brilliantly, brilliantly played. It was Tom and Barbara. They were the wholesome, lovely, nice people you wanted to be. So I think, yeah, yeah that's, I, think, I think I've just, uh, I think I've come up with a brilliant idea that maybe I shouldn't have put on a podcast, but there you go. I, I would bring the good <laughs> back. Well, you know, my fir- my, the first book that I worked on in 2004 was called The Good Life. Oh. So uh, well, the fir- you, can, you can take all your uh, practical well, the, uh, ideas from that. The first person I ever fancied was uh, Felicity Kendall in The Good Life. So, Enormous um, good taste. <laughs> yeah, she, I don't think you were alone in that one. She, no, she gen- Generations so. of um, straight men have been sustained and, and indeed uh, non-straight women. Absolutely! What a what an amazing. I mean, I just I just yeah, because I, I remember watching that because I was I was born in 1983 and I remember watching it and just thinking, that looks like a great way to live, um, and it definitely even informs how I live now, um, more than any n- like article I've read about biodiversity in in a science magazine. Um, you are quite. You've, you're a bit um, Tom Good, actually, Tom. Well, I did change my name to Tom after watching the show. Um. <laughs> I am definitely Margot, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm always waiting for the Harrods fan at some <laughs> somewhere in my head. <laughs> Lisa, do you teach? I, I do, yeah, I do workshops and things for, for other writers, uh, and I, I really enjoy that kind of thing. I, I, want, I want you to teach me. That was oh. incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Where can, where can listeners uh, see more of your stuff? or follow? Are you on Twitter? So I'm Works With Words uh, on Twitter. So yeah, come and find me there. And there's a link to my um, intermittent blog there. Uh, I haven't blogged for a while, although I did uh, write something after uh, the crisis hit. Um, I am currently working on a discovery of witches for Sky, and that's hopefully the second series out very soon. And then third series when we get to film it. Um, And All Creatures Great and Small, I've written an episode of that and that comes onto Channel 5 towards the end of this year uh, and that has a very rural feel to it, as, of course. Well, we can't wait to see how the TV industry 
unfolds as it takes up all your brilliant suggestions. Thank you. And I would, and the last thing I would say is, is anybody in the, the creative industry who's feeling a bit alone, do inc- get in touch with your trade union, so not just the Writers Guild, Equity, back to the Musicians Union, because they're working really hard to protect you at the moment. We, we, uh, we will weather this storm together, but a collective voice is much better than a lone voice. Mm. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lisa. It was it was brilliant to talk to you today. Oh, lovely to talk to you guys. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, so, uh, as a PS to this, I should explain that The Good Life was a kind of comedy uh, sort of sitcom with two families who had sort of two different ways of going about things. It was extremely aspirational. Um, the family uh, that's starring Felicity Kendall. Crap. Got in the guy's name, what's his? What was he called? Richard Briers. Sorry, I was only there for Felicity, for Felicity Kendall, but Felicity well, Kendall clearly. and Richard Briers. And his character's name was Tom, which struck a chord with the young Tom. Um, and they sort of had a nice time doing lots of gardening and being very wholesome and sort of what would have been we called now sort of eco-conscious, though that wasn't really much of a term back then. They were self-sufficient, which was the term then. That's they were, right. It was a, it was an experiment in suburbia in Surbiton, <laughs> where I live. Um, where they were trying to be self-sufficient, which is obviously a massive movement in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was the highs and lows of self-sufficiency. And their neighbours, Margot and Jerry next door, were like uber consumers. Mm. They were always waiting for the van from Harrods to drop off various things. Whereas now you can be an uber consuming hippie. I just wonder if basically what's happened is the world of those two neighbours, that are rampant consumerism and of the... Uh, environmental consciousness have sort of merged that's that's an interesting concept maybe we should write a uh, sitcom tom what would it be called oh and the good life tom good so yes. it was a play on their surname wasn't it i just i just kind of got that seagulls in Surbiton. oh i love it oh uh, i love so it so are we going to be There's... housemates lucy moving in to the good yeah, life house i'm going to live in that wardrobe behind you You'll have to share custody of Pumpkin the dog, which is really what I'm after you can have... in this scenario. Oh, Pumpkin's got a lot of love to give. Don't you worry about that. She says there's more than enough to go around. <laughs> pumpkin's the pumpkin's my uh, yeah. my aim here. Um, seagulls in Surbiton. That's great. Yeah. I wonder if you can tell by how switched on we are in the <laughs> earlier broadcast with, uh, uh, like, in April. Uh, and how just gradually deranged we've become to, uh, to, by this stage. Um, With I, shadows of I former self. I'm wearing my pyjamas. I haven't even got dressed to do, record this. Um, you've crossed some sort of line. When you've gone to Yorkshire, you've crossed some sort of I've line. crossed the Rubicon. Like, the I nid. don't know whether we'll get you back. I, the air is clean here and it's given me a different perspective. So thank you very much for listening this week and thank you to our wonderful producer, Natalie Jameson, who this week has listened to me and Lucy really rabbit on for much longer than we needed to as the lockdowns, whatever week it is, has started to bite us our consciousness. Uh, thank you to Sony Fourth Floor and Picture Zero who backed this horse and thank you, who else? You, Lucy, to you too. Thank you, Lucy. Oh, thank you, Tom. And thank you to Pumpkin. Pumpkin the dog. The dog. Great. Bye. Bye. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>